Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. All right, you guys, you are in for a treat because I have Tamika of Orisha Creative. We've been working together actually for a couple of years now on various different freelance projects. And I love her head. I love her brain. And I love how she helps coaches pre-fill programs long before they launch. So first, before we dive into the episode, a little about Tamika. After a layoff, a baby, and an epiphany more than a decade ago, she left the corporate world and hasn't looked back even after a failed first business left her young family with a year's salary worth of debt. Instead, Tamika dove headfirst into mastering the art of content marketing and her own inner game to create a thriving business while helping others do the same. She's the CEO of Arisha Creative, a full-service nurture marketing agency serving seven-figure coaches and experts in the personal growth field. She's appeared on local and national television in Canada. You can learn more about Arisha Creative at orishacreative.com. All right, friends, on to the interview. I know Tamika's going to bless you. We have a great little talk for you here. All right, Tamika, I am so excited to have you on here. Me too. I'm excited to be here, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Well, you are so welcome. So listeners, I have known Tamika for a good couple of years now, and I don't know exactly the moment that we got on each other's radar. I do remember the first like email introduction, and it was because we were both doing some freelance work for, for somebody else that we know. And turns out we think very similarly about how you build a business, how you maintain a business. And Tamika is going to give us some gold on what nurturing your audience really truly means and how you can put this into practice for your own businesses. Yes, I cannot wait. And you're right. I'm trying to remember what the exact moment is too, but there was definitely mutual awesome people in common and I'm so glad that we met. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how your business came about, how you basically got to the place where you're at right now. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. I started out I I never intended on running an agency. I had no designs of running an agency, um, but I've always had a marketing background. And I took a couple of years and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to like, while I figure things out, I had a, a business earlier and it didn't quite work out the way that I wanted to. So I took some time and said, let me just take a step back. I'm just going to freelance and see what happens. And I started freelancing in a business that was a coaching business, a very successful coaching business to the tune of seven figures. I think that that's one of the people who we worked together in common. And what was really cool about that as I was creating content and working on content strategy in this successful coaching business was that I got a bird's eye view on, on some of the gaps that happened in the business. And one of the biggest gaps that I you know, would notice is that it didn't matter how hard we tried, we could never get ahead of the curve when it came to creating content, creating that nurturing content that was sort of needed to keep the community going and keep the community engaged. You know, we would always be in this place of, you know, the end of the week dash where like we're waiting for, you know, either the business owner to give me sort of the brainstorm, the ideas to go ahead and go create content, or I was waiting on her to approve something that I had made. 
so that we could get it out to the team. There was just always this, like, we're under the gun trying to create this nurture content because, you know, even when we would put a schedule in place or a plan in place, things would happen, right? And an inspiration or an idea would show up to launch something or to relaunch something or some sort of, you know, promotional event would happen. And it would always just take us off the tracks when it came to our ongoing, like our nurture content. And so I started to really think about why that was, you know, because obviously being the the contractor, being the freelancer was creating headaches for me, right? I didn't want to stay up late <laughs> creating content. Well, who does, right? <laughs> yeah, but like nobody does, right? Like at midnight just because we couldn't land on an idea early enough. And I, I was like, why is this happening? It seemed to me like we spent so much time and energy really mapping out what our lead gen efforts were going to look like, you know, what option we were using and all of that. And it seemed, of course, like we spent, you know, a great deal of time looking at, you know, what we were going to do on the conversion side of things, you know, how are we going to be filling this program, right? And, and rightly so on both ends, right? We need to know where our leads are coming from. We need to know how they're turning them into clients. But what about the middle? It's like, why did the middle always seem like the thing we were trying to squish in? Like it, even though we were trying to plan, it always felt like there almost was no plan because it was just so hectic. And I, I started to really think to myself, like, how can it was selfish at first, Brittany, it was totally selfish at first. I was just, how can we create, you know, some sort of a structure or plan that would really get me off of this like content creation treadmill that I was on with this particular client. And she totally admits it too. <laughs> We were on this treadmill, like, how do we get off this, you know, being under the gun, being on this treadmill, you know, and, and so I started thinking about the structure of that, what it could look like. But I realized that it wasn't just a structure that was needed because we had been talking about different ways, things that we could tweak for ages. You know, we had, we had tried all different ways to be able to not have our nurture content be this, you know, beast that we were always trying to tame. So I realized it's not just about finding the right structure for her. That wasn't really the real carrot. I realized that if I could find a way to create nurture content in a way that kept us off this content creation treadmill, but also helped to serve filling programs in a much easier, effortless way, that you know, my client there, the coach, she would be more interested in sticking to the plan. So it wasn't just the, you know, how do we create content in a much more efficient way, but it was also how to create it so that it's actually earning its keep. I realized that the reason that we really, you know, despite all of our efforts, weren't able to prioritize our nurture content creation was because we didn't really have a clear idea of its value in the business. Like we know, everybody knows when you're in business, you bring the leads in, you got to warm them up, you got to, you know, and then you, you make an invitation, right? So it wasn't that we didn't think nurture mattered. We knew it mattered, but we didn't have like a really direct sort of tangible way of saying, okay, when we do this nurture, we see, you know, this many more people sign up for the program. So there wasn't that sort of equation to sort of play with. So that's why it just consistently got deprioritized. It wasn't a priority because we just figured, okay, well, even if we do a crappy job with nurture, come launch time, that's when we'll get the people. We'll double down on launch time and that's the way, you know, that we'll, we'll really fill programs. So I started to think about, you know, how to really incentivize this idea of getting off the treadmill content wise and also filling core programs. And when I landed on that 
kind of the both and that was when I was like, okay, and, and, you know, brought it to her, I realized, yeah, that there's, there's definitely some legs there. And, um, you know, so the agency was really born after I, I started to have this realization and started to play with some new frameworks and new ways of creating content with this particular individual and then realized, you know what, this is super valuable, helpful. Every coach, you know, every expert consultant, you know, creative who is wanting to have a really engaged audience to buy, you know, high-end coaching or programs, that sort of thing on the other side, they can really benefit from this because this idea of being on the content creation treadmill, especially around your nurture content is not a new thing. And, you know, everybody wants to know, like, how do I create content that not only is is easy to roll out, but is also going to get me a better result than if I hadn't done it at all. So there's a ton to unpack there. So we're, we're going to try and piece through this a little bit. So one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is at least because I hear my clients say very similarly phrased things is that content creation, particularly nurture contests, not nurture content, can seem like this beast that you're never able to tame. And you know that you need to do it. And in between, oh, I don't know, you know, working on lead generation and working on conversions, you know that there's this thing that you should be doing. But because there aren't any tangible results truly applied to it, it's really hard to prioritize. So when you were able to tie it into filling core programs more easily, that's when things really started moving for you. And then obviously your agency was born. Yes, you got it. So one of the things I'd really love to dive in with you a little bit more is how you've spoken to your clients, because I think our audience would really benefit from this, but how you've spoken to your clients on what nurture content is in the off season. Because Everyone knows what launch season feels like. It's this frenetic bubble of activity and there's this and there's this. And you, you spoke of the midnight copywriting a little bit ago, but you know, <laughs> in a launch, I mean, that's just kind of par for the course, right? But if you've taken care of your nurture content in a more systematic way, it doesn't need to feel like that. Absolutely. Absolutely, Brittany. And I think the way that I really explain this to my clients or, you know, someone who kind of approaches me before we start working together and, and they, they share this experience of creating content all the time and don't know what I'm going to create. And then I've got to do the creating and all of that. And the real reason that's happening, like, that's where I start. I start with them, you know, in discussing, like, why is this happening in the first place? The main reason it's happening in my view is that most folks, when they think of creating nurture content, they are thinking about creating editorial, like an editorial calendar. So they're thinking about it um, from like almost like a magazine perspective. And it's sort of, you know, you think about the magazine, it's like, okay, in this month's issue and like, what are all the, the five tips to this and six tips to that? And they're really thinking of it as like, you know, how much value can I put out, which is a very noble thing. But they get in this place where they're always trying to come up with new material, like new content all the time. And I understand where this comes from. There was that school of thought, you know, many moons ago, it still exists, I think, where it's sort of like, you got to give them value, you got to, you know, show up and, and share your best tips and tricks and that sort of thing. If you're a content creation machine, and some people are totally wired that way, and it's really easy for them to do it. And I'm, I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, go for it. For most people, though, 
what is actually a better service to both you and to your audience is to actually narrow down the topics that you're creating content around. So it's a lot easier to get off the treadmill if you can out the gate, take off the fact that, oh my God, I have to think of like 52 themes because there's 52 weeks um, in a year, or I have to think of 365, like one post for every single day. If we take that out of the equation and start to narrow it down and think about, um, what I like to call kind of the core nurture themes, like what do we really need? What does your audience really need to receive content around to help them make a buying decision? If you can narrow down the amount of content that you're creating, that in itself just automatically lightens the low because out the gate, you know what you're creating content around. Um, And then what I've learned over time, Brittany, is that when you narrow down the focus of your content creation, you actually are providing more value to your audience than you ever could, you know, compared to sort of sharing tips, you know, every day or every week. So when you're talking about narrowing down content to the kinds of things your audience needs to see so that they make a buying decision, that gives a really clear direction and then does the double duty of tying it back to your promise, which is that creating the nurture content actually fills your core programs more easily because you've already addressed those buying hurdles, shall we say? Exactly. Exactly. You got it, right? So, you know, there's this kind of, you know, common misconception that, you know, you've got, again, you've got to give like all your tips and tricks. And and again, that it, it can be valuable in some places. But what I've learned is that the most effective way to really, you know, establish yourself as an authority to establish, you know, we talk about the no like and trust factor to really create that trust factor is when you're able to talk about somebody's problem, your ideal client's problem better than they can ever describe it themselves. When you know things about what they're experiencing that they hadn't even considered, but now once they've heard them, they can't unhear them. When you start weaving those into your core nurture themes, you're actually doing a better service than if you give someone sort of like, here's three tips to go and do this or that or the other thing. And here's why. If you give someone a couple of tips to go take action on them, they will do their best to go and take action. But you know that there's probably an underlying problem that they don't know. So they're just going to keep getting stuck until they come and work with you. That is why you exist. That's why, you know, you've got a business and, and the ability to help people. If instead you focus your nurture content, you narrow it down and you focus on helping them think differently about their problem, helping them sort of unpack some of the myths and mistakes that they, you know, have, have picked up along the way help them to sort of unpack some of the objections that they might have. You're not giving them tips, but what you're giving them is the ability to see their problem in a new way. And when we can see what's going on for us in a new way, that's how we actually, you know, step forward and and take action. When we think we can still figure it out on our own, we don't. We sit there and we try to figure it out on our own. But if we're thinking about it from a different lens, like, oh my goodness, yeah, like I didn't think about my problem this way. And this person over here, you know, Jane expert knows about, you know, my problem better than I do, then I automatically kind of lean in and I'm like, okay, well, what does she think I should do next? You know what I mean? Because she clearly is an authority in it. And and I'm not because I've been there, you know, trace chasing my tail with the problem that I have. So what's interesting here to me is, I mean, for the audience, especially, I think a lot of us and actually, I'll just use myself as an example, because I think it's a, a pretty decent story to augment what you're saying is, If I look at my Instagram analytics for the last year or so, we'll just we'll just call it a year to make it easy. Most people are gonna go and look, okay, which post had the most likes or or even which post had the most 
comments. And I learned a long time ago that likes and comments don't actually book me clients. But if you look at the post I have with the most engagement, it was late summer of last year, so August or September, and it was something along the lines of five ways to create more on-brand content. And I put that post out there as a test, as an experiment, because I wanted to see what happened. I was trying to see if I could get something to go viral or or semi-viral at least. And it did. It is to this date my most liked, most engaged with post, but it booked me not a single client. Whereas if you look at a post that I put out like two weeks ago or two months ago, just a random post, it maybe only has, you know, 15 likes, you know, a handful smattering of comments. But that is the post that got people to actually click through to my website or to whatever offer I was speaking about that actually landed people in my inbox. And I think when it comes to the nurture content that you are talking about and and really your method of going about it, of getting people to look at their problem differently, shift those beliefs and open themselves up to saying, oh, I see this is different, but now I need help with this to further this solution, it's a completely different way. Like that kind of content is never going to get all the engagement, all the likes, all the comments. And I'm, you know, obviously speaking in Instagram terms here, but for any, you know, online platform, whether it's a YouTube video or, you know, what have you, I truly believe that the kinds of content you are talking about here aren't going to look attractive. They aren't going to be the things that people talk about or share because anything that really truly shifts your beliefs on something is going to feel deep. And it's probably a little bit too personal for people to be like, hey, everyone, go check out this post about this girl I just saw. And because of that, I think that goes back to that whole tangible thing. It's hard to focus on nurture content when you don't see tangible results from it. 1000%. But the thing that I would argue is that you do sort of see the tangible, right? So when I'm thinking about ROI and nurture content, I want to know how many people did actually book a discovery call? How many more people, you know, compared to launches previously are stepping into a program? If you have something like a wait list, how many people are primed and stepping on the wait list ahead of time? So it, it is inviting us to look at our metrics in a much different way. And it's certainly not to your point, like the vanity metrics of like, woohoo, this one went semi-viral. Cause you're right. Like the post that goes semi-viral is, you know, is not going to be the one that's going to, that's going to get folks on your calendar. It's, it's like, you know, to, to go off on a, tiny bit, tiny little tangent. It's sort of like, I see folks really loving on Instagram reels and I think they're super duper fun, but that's probably never going to get someone to your website that day. Right. It builds personality and all that. And, and which is why I'll share a little bit of a, of another secret as well. Like the core of our nurture content in this, you know, sort of framework that I ended up coming up with. And I, I ended up calling it the nurture matrix. That's what it's called. So, you know, the, the core of that content in the nurture matrix is around this sort of, you know, paradigm shifting content. That's where we spend a good bulk of our time. However, you're right. If you were just to populate your feed with posts like that, post on post on post, like people would get almost like, you know, it's like the, the brain exploding emoji. Do you know what I mean? Like you would be, it would be like too much for them. So I also do believe that you want to have a little bit of levity in between. And so in our nurture matrix, we build out a 90 day evergreen nurture sequence for our clients. And you know, it's the primary function is this paradigm shifting content. And then we do have some pieces in there that are, you know, designed for lightness and designed for engagement. So we've got, you know, what we call conversation starters or coaching questions. And those are meant to sort of bring in some dialogue and, and to be a little bit lighter. And then we do, you know, 
know, we'll use things like quotes or memes, you know, that kind of thing, just to bring some personality into the mix. Because, you know, from a branding perspective, you know this, like, you want to show up as the authority, yes. And if people feel like, you know, ooh, it's it, it's like the principle. It's like, you know what I mean? Otherwise, you start showing like the, the principle all the time. Like, ah, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this, or a giant know-it-all. So you need to show that you are, that you're relatable and you are fun or, or whatever your particular brand is. But you need some, some personality in there as well. So, you know, you want to include that. But even from that perspective, when we're choosing content that fits in, a nurture matrix that is designed for kind of that connection and conversation, which are more of the personality aspects of things. We are looking at like, can we tie those back in some way to our core nurture themes, right? So we're keeping it within sort of the high level conversation that we're wanting to have with the audience, right? And just, and kind of, and, and having it be a consistent conversation, even though it's not a, a particularly deep post, there are still ways to kind of bring quotes are a really great way to do that, right? You can help someone sort of have a new perspective with some beautiful quote and just have a couple of lines of text and still, you know, it, it has the same energy of the deeper kind of posts where you like, you know, gave them the, the brain explosion, you know, by shifting their paradigm. And I love how you kind of encompassed like the tangible vanity metrics. And then there's the tangible things that only people inside your business know. How many discovery calls did you book from this? How many people did you get on your wait list? That's not going to look like anything outside to people, but you know what it's doing. And then you obviously know what it's doing for your bottom line, which is way bigger than than anything else, obviously. Exactly. Like we've got to get to the point where our nurture content is earning its keep. Otherwise, we never prioritize it. We never really get good at it, right? If this is always the thing where it's like, I don't know if it works, maybe I'm just doing the thing today. It becomes very easy to say, well, you know what? I don't feel like posting today. Or I don't feel like, and you never get into that place of, of even feeling confident enough to like batch create or do any of these other things that we can do to make it, you know, super efficient and effective. But we have to start looking at looking beyond those vanity metrics. And, and it doesn't matter how many likes it gets or comments it gets all the time. Sometimes, yeah, yes, but not all the time. Absolutely. So one of the things I would love to hear from you is what's been the most surprising thing to you since starting your agency and since putting into practice the nurture matrix with so many clients? The thing I never really expected, like I knew that the nurture matrix would help folks fill their programs. I'm like, how can it not? We're creating content specifically designed. It's it basically for some people, I don't really, you know, position it this way, but for a lot of people, it's sort of like, ooh, you, what you're building me is like an extra long, you know, pre-launch sequence or warm-up sequence or something like that, right? Like they think of it kind of that way. And I, you know, knew that would happen, knew that it would it would set up the sale. But what's been most surprising is the number of clients that we've had who have like filled programs months in advance because of the strategic nurture content, right? Like I could have never guessed its ability to sort of pre-sell programs that don't start for another couple of months just because the messaging is so bang on that people are like, I don't care, I want in now because I don't want to wait until the launch happens because I don't want to lose my spot, right? I'm talking about programs that have, you know, like caps and stuff like that, which, you know, not every not everyone does, but many of them do, right? There's only a certain capacity that you can have. So people are, are they're, want, they're reaching out, they're wanting to get on the phone or to have a link to buy early. And that's happened with a number of our clients. We have one client in, in particular who we, we keep consecutively like selling out her program, like at least a good month before the registration, like the actual registration closes. And so we keep just saying, okay, well, we'll like increase the capacity a little bit more and we keep hitting the numbers such a tough problem to have right there. I mean, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. And then I think the other piece of it with this client as well, I think it's it comes into play. What I wouldn't have expected is just sort of the compound effect. Like I was creating content, you know, to be evergreen because, you know, my, my theory is is just, well, if we are narrowing down the messages that we need to say, then we'll just keep saying those messages because until someone takes a buying action, they clearly need to hear it again, right? So I didn't have any qualms about it being evergreen, but what we're really seeing is that like even on, you know, year two or so of some of our clients running their nurture matrix, like it's just accelerating, like things are happening faster, even though they're using the same messages, they're just seeing like a crazy compound effect, which I I never would have guessed that as well. I kind of thought, you know, well, we'll use it for a year, it'll be evergreen for a year, and then you know, we'll sort of see, we'll hope it still performs. Maybe we'll have to make some adjustments. And I was cool with that and communicated that to clients as well. But what we're seeing is that, you know, even in year two, like they still really perform. Perfect. Tamika, this has been a joy. Can you tell us a little bit about where to find you? And if anyone is interested in the nurture matrix, where they can find information about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, this has been a true joy. I love to nerd out on all things marketing with the likes of you next time and when we can travel again we'll have to do it over oysters like we, like we did yes. not too long ago right <laughs> but that was plenty of fun but for folks who are looking to find out more about Arisha Creative our agency or the Nurture Matrix they can head to arishacreative.com and when you're on there there is a link somewhere it'll say like I want to know more about the Nurture Matrix and that'll actually take you to a uh, live case study uh, a recording of a live case study that I did that really explains how we get our clients off the content creation treadmill and fill their program programs in a fraction of the time. And it'll sort of take through what it looked like in a couple of different businesses so that folks who think like, hey, can this work for me? The intention is is for them to be able to watch it and understand what needs to be in place for it to work really optimally. And then, you know, they can take next steps from there. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming to the No Like and Trust Show. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Brittany. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the nuggets that Tamika offered us. There are so many really important things she said in her first initial story of how her business came to be. And if you are not yet in that seven-figure coach status, it is okay. Learn early and learn along the way because learning this now will save you years of frustration and headaches and failed launches and all of those things that I'm sure we all would like to avoid. Find out more about the Nurture Natrix Tamika gave you the orishacreative.com URL in her closing remarks. I hope you hop on over to check it out. 